Hello and welcome. My name is Robert. And I'm Foster. And this is the Also See Podcast, where we take an actor or director from an upcoming release and we talk about one of their older movies that may not be as well known. This week, we're basing our topic on Killers of the Flower Moon, which stars, among others, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. So you've seen Titanic, you've seen Godfather Part Two, Inception, Wolf of Wall Street, Taxi Driver, and Goodfellas, and I'm sure you've heard lots of people talk about them on podcasts, in person, in movie theaters. But these two icons starred in a movie together, along with other icons, Meryl Streep and Diane Keaton, and that movie is Marvin's Room. And uh, yeah, that's what we're here to talk about. I guess I should have loaded a synopsis to start our conversation, but a uh, letterbox says a leukemia patient attempts to end a 20 year feud with her sister to get her bone marrow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> light stuff here. This is like yeah. a, a, a light comedy. <laughs> when it we were kind deciding... of is weirdly at parts. <laughs> I know you're right. When we were deciding what, what movie to choose and talk about for this week, we had this and this boy's life, which is also Leo and De Niro. And you're like, they both seem pretty dark. So you choose. <laughs> couple and of romps. I, I chose based on runtime, and that's how we ended up with Marvin's Room. Um, what did you think of this? Let's just get into it. I thought this was okay, and I was actually really, really into it for the first 20 minutes or so, and I was like, oh man, this is going to be one of those like little depressing family dramas that I'm super into, but then I felt like it just kind of, just the movie kept going <laughs> and didn't really go anywhere with the like last two-thirds, for me at least. Um, I liked some parts of it, but it was, I think, just a little too sugary and schmaltzy and cutesy for me. But, uh, I mean, there's stuff to appreciate here. What did you think? Yeah, um, let's start with no spoilers, just to be safe. Um, but yeah, I I think I'm similar to you. Where I, I thought it was okay. It, it has, like I said, four titans of acting in it. You know, Leo uh, De Niro... Streep and Keaton, and they are basically what holds it up. <laughs> and whoever plays Leo's little brother, who has about four lines, but is always <laughs> in the background. Uh, <laughs> eating um, chips. Yeah, eating chips, because his mother told him he needed to. Um, yeah, I... That's about what I think, because the ending is interesting to me, and we'll get to that, but... I was really happy to watch this mainly for Leo because I hadn't seen many of his younger performances. I think the only thing earlier than Titanic I had really seen was Gilbert Grape. Um, and that's not necessarily, I don't want to, I shouldn't say that. That's, that's a very specific kind of performance. You know, it's not like seeing, Hey, can he do different takes on a similar thing? Um, so because of this, and because this podcast, as we talked about in our trailer, is supposed to be adding context for upcoming movies, the crazy person that I am went back and added more context for this movie. <laughs> so I watched uh, Basketball Diaries and Romeo and Juliet for the first time because I just got really curious about Leo as, an, as a young actor um, because I think he's only okay in this. Like, I th he's pretty good, but mostly just okay. Like... You think of him as one of the greatest actors alive today, um, definitely of his generation. And I don't know if that really started until maybe like The Departed, right? Mm, 
Uh, maybe Catch Me If You Can. Oh, Catch Me I If You Can. Say. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. A couple years before. But still, yeah. So, yeah, let's just start. What did you think of his performance? Uh, I th- Based on what you're saying, I think I liked him a little bit more than you, but it's not like I was blown away by him necessarily. Um, I had a very similar experience to you, and if I had more free time this week, mm. I probably would have done the exact same thing because immediately after the movie, I was just like looking through all his older movies. Same same movie too that I had seen Gilbert Grape, which I think he's incredible in. But yeah, yeah. It's not it's yeah. not the like, it's not the vibe of his career at that time. It's sort of like a little bit of an outlier in in that he's so different just by nature of the character he's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to talk about him a little bit more, I think this movie was the one because again, it's the first one of those movies of him like as a teenager in that era that I had even seen pre Titanic. Um, it really hit home for me that he is like the new incarnation of James Dean or River Phoenix. Um, right. And he was like contemporaries with River Phoenix though, right? Yeah. River Phoenix was, was like a bit maybe like 10 years before okay. roughly. Um, well, that's true. Cause he was in Indiana Jones. Yeah. And, and stand by me in the eighties. Right. And then I know like my own private Idaho, I want to say is 91. Cause I looked that one up too as, as uh after I watched this movie, because like re- it really reminded me of that, and uh, it makes me want to go back and watch some of the ones you were watching and other ones uh, from that time period as well. It also made me think of like Timothy Chalamet is probably the closest comparison we have. Right, I was going to bring that that up also because Chalamet. First thing I saw him in was Beautiful Boy, or yeah, Beautiful Boy, and he blew me away immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's about the same age Leo is here, and you know you've heard Leo say there's the thing that he said to Chalamet is no hard drugs and no superhero <laughs> movies. So like, I think he sees kind of a young himself in Chalamet where he's kind of like that tortured soul who has a softer side. And especially with Romeo and Juliet and Titanic, he's got like that romantic side. Um, so I was expecting something that would blow me away, like call me by your name or beautiful boy. But instead I was just like, Oh, I don't know if I would have pegged him to become, you know, capital L Leo, the way that we know him now from this performance. Yeah. Uh, it really also hits home, like the differences between uh, the eras in which they're made, like how sure. um, in order for someone to become so famous in Leo's time, you just have to be in these like great, you know, family domestic melodramas. And now Timothy, like after a few years of doing those sorts of dramas is already going to be Willy Wonka and he's in Dune and he's in these huge, like mega blockbusters. Um, so that's kind of interesting just to have that comparison. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe we should talk about some of the other people in this movie. Just to get him out of the way, I'm going to say Robert De Niro was in this way less than I thought he was going yeah. to be. So much so that it's almost weird that he's in this role. Like, yeah. this is, I think, the year after Heat came out, right? So, like, it's not like he's in a slump or anything. He's in huge stuff, huge movies, you know, but he just plays, um, it's just Diane Keaton's doctor, right? Yeah, he's just a doctor. It's he's just cracking one liners. He's got the mussied up hair, you know. It's actually um, the year after Casino and Heat, so I know. Yeah. Yes, that's crazy. Um, why is he in this? It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> my question. <laughs> I don't know, but like, I really like him in it. Um, oh, and that's great. Yeah, one of the notes that I wrote, or it's, I don't think he gets enough credit just in general for being like this because he has roles like this every once in a while. Because you think of Heat and Casino and you know obviously more 70s stuff like Godfather and Taxi Driver and then, you know, Goodfellas. Um, You think of him in Scorsese or Scorsese adjacent types, Michael Mann types. 
but he's really really believable as this tender doctor who's he's really fun. funny he's nice yeah who jokes around with his brother his brother is just there to spew out silly one-liners every once in a while mm-hmm. um yeah like awakenings is another one that i really love of i need to De Niro. see it. that one's a good one it's really good and it's he plays um I don't know what the term is, but he's just like a sick patient who doesn't really have control of his faculties and uh, can't speak the way that he needs to and all that. And Robin Williams kind of nurses him back to health. And yeah, he's really, really good in that. And it's nothing like, you know, Cape Fear, nothing like uh, (laughs) even Silver Linings Playbook, stuff like that. So yeah, I just wish he got more credit for doing stuff like this, even though the other performances are seminal in movie culture. There was one moment that I wrote down because I thought it was really mm-hmm. funny. Like he just has a great delivery. Um, uh, Diane Keaton thinks, or, or, or we all think she's about to be diagnosed with leukemia. And she says something like, leukemia, correct me if I'm wrong, is one of the ones that they've got figured out, you know, kind of like diabetes. And Robert De Niro just completely straight face says, well, I will correct you. That's wrong. <laughs> that was my favorite moment of the movie. <laughs> you know what's funny is that's the one interaction that I wrote down too. <laughs> Because <laughs> I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Well, it just took me out because it has like it's so like I don't know. You just don't expect it from this movie, <laughs> right? And the note I wrote after that is intentional dark comedy question mark. Like, mm-hmm. do you think it is, or do you think it's just some levity thrown in there with the De Niro and his brother character? Um. I mean, I think the movie has like a lot of little bits of humor sprinkled throughout. I don't know if they're all necessarily hilarious, but I think they're pretty funny to like a, I don't know, the like 80 year old target audience that this movie is trying to trying to get in the theater. But um, uh, or like the chip moment where the kid eats the chip, you know, mm-hmm. um, after Leo storms out. That's really funny to me. Um, and I don't know. I can't remember, but I know there were a couple moments that made me laugh and I was surprised. That does strike me as a moment that you would laugh at having watched the movies with you. you, you I've noticed you chuckling. At, yeah, I noticed you chuckling at some of the more banal things in movies sometimes. <laughs> well, I just love like, I don't know. <laughs> I love chips. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I'm not kidding. I do love chips, but that's beside the point. Chips that's a different the podcast. pinnacle of hilarity to you. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, we should what start also think? eat. Oh, just about Sit. chips that aren't laser Tostitos. Okay. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what this podcast is turning into. <laughs> um, We're 11 anyways, minutes into the first episode. Anyway, yes, yeah, Meryl Streep is in this movie. Uh, what did we think of her? And then maybe we'll build up to Diane Keaton, who's really mm-hmm. the kind of ostensible lead of the movie. Sure. Yeah, I yeah, I pause because I don't know if there is a lead, but I guess ostensible lead is the right way to put it. I actually haven't seen a ton of Meryl Streep, I'll be honest with you. Um, I would have to pull up IMDb, but like, I've seen Sophie's Choice and Deer Hunter, but she's kind of a uh, supporting player in Deer Hunter. But like from before the 2000s, I haven't seen much. So it's just fun to me to go and see the, uh, you know, she's, we said Leo is probably one of the best actors of his generation. It's almost universally agreed upon that Meryl Streep is like the best living actress of no matter what generation. Um, Better than Tony Collette, for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, fighting words. No, I like Tony Collette a lot. But it, it, she kind of plays an archetype, right? Where it's just like 
the moody mom who has kind of selfish and has a rougher relationship with her kids and isn't doesn't show love the way that you would expect a mother to not trying to like assign roles but like stereotypically what you would expect a mother to in a movie um i think she's good in it but it like i've seen other things from her that would be better or at least more memorable this will be one if it weren't for this podcast that maybe four months from now i'd be like oh yeah marvin's room i watched that (laughs) and then that would basically be my whole (laughs) thoughts on it yeah did she so 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 she doesn't necessarily stand out too much to you like you don't watch this and go like oh wow Meryl Streep really is the real deal no and apart from probably Diane Keaton I wouldn't think that about any of the main three yeah even including or or four including De Niro actors yeah um just because you were saying you hadn't seen many I looked up my letterbox I have seen 20 movies with Meryl Streep uh, and I do think she is one of the best actors ever and might surprise you. I actually would say she's, I would rank her higher than Tony Collette just based <laughs> okay. on the sheer like breadth of, and volume of, of stuff she's been in. Um, but yeah, she's incredible. I, I, she doesn't blow me away in this movie specifically, but there's a lot of little moments where you're like, um, I don't know that any other actor would have really done too much with this role. I don't think it's like, like you're saying, it is kind of a little bit of a stereotypical, like, yeah, mother role, and in, in a sense. Um, but I mean, just like her, her reactionary performance when she first meets Diane Keaton, uh, well, not first meets, but first reunites with her after yeah. not having seen her for 20 years. It's like, just, she's just great at those expressions. Um, but yeah, it's not like, I, I wouldn't have given her an Oscar nomination or anything. Um did unlike she, she did not unlike okay, okay. smooth transition diane keaton <laughs> who did get a nomination for this one um who i thought was very good in this movie but again is not like doesn't blow me out of the water but i think probably she is the strongest performance in the movie for me and certainly the most emotional one so let me know what you thought about her yeah i think you saying she's the strongest performance uh, has a lot to do with the fact that she has the most depth and pathos to her character, apart from what it's kind of trying to do with Leo. She, she definitely has the most showy role, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think she also is good in those smaller moments because she has those... Like I said, it's because she goes through the most that it gives her the moments where she's allowed to kind of be silent and live with her leukemia diagnosis. Um seeing her try on the wig that after Meryl Streep cuts it for the first time, her styles it for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's not great. (laughs) It's not a great look for her. (laughs) I'm sorry to say. (laughs) Well, whether or not it's a great look, which I don't know. I don't necessarily have thoughts, especially because it's a totally different uh, style time period. Um, Just the way that she is when she puts it on, you can see her go from kind of, you know, this tender reserved, ready to boil over and blow moment at uh, at any moment from before the hairstyling to after it. She kind of feels free for a while. So it's just like mm-hmm. just the, the little things and moments like that are what stand out about her performance, at least. Um, I was reading some letterbox reviews, as I do for every movie that I watch after I watch it. And one of them said something like this would be about Hallmark level if it weren't for um, 
the performers. And I think that's okay. Sometimes movies don't need to be great. And I don't even like talking about movies in those sort of terms. Just like when you say this isn't the best movie I've ever seen, but it's still good. But like sometimes even if you have kind of like a basic story structure, um, this is something you've talked to me about where it's like, you can zero in on, on a performance and just appreciate a movie on a certain level because of the performance. Um, and because everyone, at least Streep and Keaton, give like solid to very good, just regular performances on top of De Niro and his brother being funny and Leo trying to be taken seriously. <laughs> um, I think there there's some merit to a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer that any movie that's made with honest intentions like has some value to it, um, which is every movie ever, because every movie, like, I mean, is made by thousands of people collectively, and most of them are just trying to do a good job. But like, even if I didn't particularly love this movie, there's still scenes and moments in it that I'm going to remember that I'm glad to have seen. Like, the one that stands out for me is uh, when Leo is looking through the tool set in the closet mm-hmm. and then he goes out into the yard and then has that conversation with Diane Keaton and they kind of had that bonding moment. Obviously it's like a movie moment where you're like, okay, so yeah. they're going to bond, you know, but like, it's kind of nice. Um, and it still, you know, is emotionally affecting in the sense that it's like, these are two people who are uh, maybe sort of unconventionally finding a connection with one another. And it's, um, I don't know. There's a lot of like beautiful moments within that, even if, like I'll just say the ending of the movie doesn't really land for me. And there are a few moments where there's just like 10 scenes of two people laughing together in this movie. Like there's the one with Leo and Diane Keaton in the car on the beach, which for me, I was just stressed like about the mechanics of that and thinking like I I was so nervous that that car was going under (laughs) or the one where Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep start laughing in the bedroom because um, Diane Keaton starts telling the story, and then there's the one at the ending. It's just like there's a. It's like okay, yeah, this is a movie. With the mirror, you mean? Like, yeah, it's like this is. I'm supposed to be moved by this, and I, I don't. I don't like feeling too manipulated like that. So I kind of right. internally, I'm like rebelling against those moments. But um, yeah, right. That's what movies do, right? Is the point of it is to manipulate you, but the trick is to not make you feel like you're being manipulated. Mm-hmm. So. That's that was like my last note that the movie is very saccharine and neat and it all wraps yeah. up very nicely. And I think it's perfect for the demographic it's probably going for because, you know, some people just want to feel good when they watch a movie. Um, and that's what this will do for you, I think. Like, I gave it three stars on Letterboxd. I didn't dislike it because it's a very sweet movie and like you said it's made with honest intentions you and you can tell no one's just there for a paycheck everyone's trying um but i think there's a ceiling to what this type of thing could be Um, i just sorry i just that's the dvd cover quote right there everyone's trying (laughs) everyone's trying Uh, you could not say that about some other movies um As we put a cap on the conversation, though, I want to ask you one more thing, and that's what actually happened at the end? I Did I miss something? Where did, I, no, did, you, where did I, he go? The old guy? Marvin? No, Leo. Oh, where Leo. Did, he, like, went oh. somewhere and then came back and, like, left a goodbye note? 
oh man, I've blocked that out of my memory. I'm just, I just remember the thing with the mirror and I was like, I'm not really feeling th this land. Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, this is, a, we, we said no spoilers yet, but that was a spoiler. Um, Leo leaves and goes somewhere and Meryl Streep finds a note and she like tries to hide it from Diane Keaton because mm. now she doesn't want Diane Keaton to know that she's not going to be able to get the bone marrow. And then she's like, oh no, my stupid son, he's left. And uh, right when he was just pretending to do all this stuff, he's actually gone for good. And the next thing you know, he just shows up in the kitchen and he's like, what? Everything's fine. It's just the weirdest thing. It didn't make any sense to me at all. And apparently oh, it was man. so bad and innocuous it didn't even register to it, you. Is it, that didn't even register. To be fair, I also watched it yesterday when I was very tired late at night. But um, yeah, I don't even... <laughs> I don't know. You could be making this up for all I know. Um, and then Tobey Maguire shows up? No. So well, at, no. at best, it makes no sense. And at worst, you're not going to remember it at all. Yeah. It's just... Uh, yeah, I... When you were about when you were starting your sentence, you were like, "What happens?" Mm -hmm. And I thought you were going to say like during the movie, because to be honest, like not much happens in this movie. It's like you describe right. the plot of this, and it's like, uh, like the premise can be summed up in like a sentence, basically. And it's not like there's a lot of standout or m memorable stretches of movie beyond like a couple scenes in like the first third for me. Mm -hmm. Um, like the whole last hour or so just kind of flows together in my brain. Um. One other thing I do want to yeah. say about this movie, and I actually think the single biggest positive and the biggest surprise for me, I really liked the score for this. Oh, I thought the said music that. was yeah. actually incredible, like mm -hmm. like genuinely, I, like a like a fantastic score. Uh, it's Rachel Portman, who I really don't know any of her other scores, but I mean she's won an Oscar. I was looking her up, so I guess I should know some of her scores. Um, that opening credits music was really incredible. And part of what yeah. made me think I was going to like the movie more than I ended up liking it. And like, as we're kind of panning through the pill bottles, um, I thought like I, I was on this movie's wavelength for, for like a good 20 minutes or so. Um, and the panning yeah, through the I mean, pill bottles is a very tried and true method of showing that someone <laughs> is either sick or addicted. It's yes. It's, it's, um, it's a subtle way of opening your movie. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I even like before we got on this on this call, I was looking up some of the tracks from this movie and just listening to them, and it got me in the headspace perfectly. It's mm -hmm. a it's like a score that's like almost this sounds rude to the movie, but like better than the movie deserves almost because it's just like so good and so beautiful, and it's like yeah. almost like a cheat code because it's like I'm getting emotional, but it's just because of the music. It's not because of the movie necessarily. I'm glad you said that because now I got to go. That reminds me, I got to look it up. Um, every. You know, maybe once a week after watching a bunch of movies, I'm like, oh, I got to go back and add some of those <laughs> tracks to my playlist. Uh, so I'm definitely going to do that. Exactly. So, yeah, we both thought this was OK. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm glad I watched it, though, because. Like I said, that is, that's the mission of this podcast, just to fill out some of the gaps. And this is the type of performance that I really like to see from De Niro. Um, and I just like to be able to say I've seen more Leo because. I was looking at his filmography and I think, oh man, starting with like maybe whatever he did around Inception, I've seen everything since then, except for Jay Edgar. And it's it's just a crazy, like... crazy lineup. I was looking at him too. It was, I mean, the lineup is insane up until Don't Look Up, which is kind of random compared to the 
the stuff he's been doing since, which he's good in it, but um He has the one I mean, good line, I think, in that movie. What's the line? The we really did have everything at the very end around the dinner table. I do not remember that line. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm <All right>. sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I was wrong, by the way. It's from Gangs of New York on. I think he's been on just past 21 years. Great run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's put a cap on that. Let's head over to our grids. Have you have you opened this today? I have not opened this today. Neither have I. It's, all, it's usually one of the first things that I do. So this is, you're going to the movie grid one, right? The yellow yes. one? Yeah. Okay. That's the one. So for people listening, we're trying this out for the first time. Well, we've done the grid before, but we're obviously trying it out for this podcast for the first time. We're going to edit around this. We're each going to do the grid. And then we're going to uh, see what we got, see who got the better score. So let me just read out the squares so people can think and just like know what we're thinking of. Okay, um, you do that. And then I also have another question. Okay, top line we have directed by David Fincher, uh, begins with a vowel ignoring the word the, released from 2005 to 2015, and down the left we have Rosamund Pike, Brad Pitt, and Kristen Stewart. What's your question? Are we trying to do a race, or are we just doing it? I do, I don't want to take like 10 minutes, but like, if you could do it in a timely manner, I'm going to try. No, I mean like a literal race. Am I trying to beat you? Not you're not trying to beat me time wise. Do you know how it gives you a score at the end? And you are you wanting to is it the goal to get the like most obscure movie in that category? Yeah. That's yeah. the goal. Okay. So yeah. then we're trying to beat each other by percentage. Right. Basically. So in the top per, in the top corner of each guess, it has a little percentage. And that percentage uh represents yeah. of all the people who got this square right, that's yeah, the, or it's that's a rectangle. the percent who chose that movie. Got it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. And there are nine squares, and you get nine total guesses to do it. So, All right, I'll start now. All right, me too. So you, you said you're done? I'm done, yeah. I gave right. up. Reveal your score, and then I'll reveal mine. I got 1,759. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what did you get? I got 2,056. Okay. You're going to have yep. to explain this to me because I normally just play it and I'm like happily smiling along to myself just because I fill out the grid. Yeah, How yeah. does the score system work? You want a lower or a higher score? Lower. Lower score. Okay. What does it say? Top three. I got top 3.3% of players. 3.3? Yeah. Maybe a higher score is better in that case. I'm in the top 26.2% of players. In that case, I'm thinking a higher score is actually better because the other grids that I do... <laughs> It like adds up the percentages that you got in the corners. Okay. It obviously doesn't do that here. <laughs> All right, let's go through what we got. What what couldn't you think of? Which, I couldn't think which of uh, a rectangle. Kristen, I couldn't think of a Kristen Stewart movie that begins with a vowel. Oh, I got two. I did American Ultra for the vowel, and I did Into the Wild for 2005 through 2015 for her. Oh man, should I just should I just rattle off my Kristen Stewart's? Sure, and I did Panic Room because that's the only Fincher. Of course, Panic Room. I didn't do a vowel, and then for this is I'm really proud of this because of the low percentage. Yeah. From released to 2005 to 2015, I got Camp X Ray, which I had 
0.2% people guessing that one. Never even heard of it. Have you seen that? No. I just <laughs> I remember it came, coming out and I was interested in watching it and never got around to it. But I was like, it's like one of my whole life. My whole life has led to this kind of moment. <laughs> well, now you got to watch it because of this. Um, can you tell me what these movies are called? A wha- uh, for Brad Pitt, uh, the wacky Coen Brothers movie where he gets shot in the closet. Burn After has... Reading. Yeah. Burn after reading. <laughs> Did that come out in this time frame? That you was did, a right? spoiler, by the way. <laughs> that know, came but... out. Uh, yeah, that's from 2005 to 2015. Yeah, that's that's at least eight years old. It's fine. I don't care about the spoiler. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was the he did an Inurito movie. Uh, with Kate Blanchett. Babel. <laughs> I was thinking Babylon, and I was like, no, it's not Babylon. <laughs> oh, he's in that too. But that's not not right no. time period. But yeah, I was trying to get that. So what'd you do for Brad Pitt? Okay, David Fincher, I did Benjamin Button. Me too. Is that the that's the smallest I think so. Uh, percentage we could have gotten, I think. Uh what's the other I one? Did... did he do two more? Did he just do seven, right? Fight Club. Oh, Fight Club, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh anyway. I did Inglorious Bastards for Begins with a Vowel. Um uh, I, I my I my other one I'm really proud of, just to finish out the row, is from twenty 20- Sorry, I can't speak English today. Fun fact for people listening. From 2005 to 2015, I got By the Sea uh, with Angelina Jolie, and that had 0.7%. I was really proud of that one, too. Another one I've never heard of, and you chose the other Angelina Jolie movie from that time period. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I did Benjamin Button also because I knew that was going to be the lowest percentage. Um, I did A River Runs Through It, which is a movie my dad made us watch on TV. Like that's a good pull when I was yeah. a teenager. Um, and I settled for Jesse James for 2005 to 2015. And I yeah. thought it was going to be a high percentage, but it's 1.4. So mm. I'm somewhat shocked. I don't know what else there might have been like to make it that low. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we went from bottom to top, but we did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what'd you, what'd you do for Rosamund Pike? Okay, Gone Girl for the one with David Fincher. Mm-hmm. For Begins with a Vowel, this one I was bummed I couldn't think of a better one, but I just did I Care a Lot, which was Me the too. Netflix movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was... Ugh, I've, there's there's certainly better ones than that. And then uh, released 2005 to 2015. There's probably a better one I could have done, but I did The World's End, the Edgar Wright movie. Hey, we're the same for Rosamund Pike, at least. Ooh, lockstep. I don't know if there's any besides um, Pride and Prejudice that I could have even thought of off the top of my head for her. Why did you get a better score than me? Well, because you missed one, that oh, that definitely oh. hurts your score. Oh, you answered all of them. I answered them all, yeah. Oh, I thought you gave up too. And so I was like, I'll give up. Um, although I don't know oh, that no. I would have ever gotten one of the Kristen Stewart ones. Which one did you put down for Begins with a Vowel? For Kristen Stewart? No, yeah. American Ultra. Oh, American Ultra. You said that already. Yeah, yeah looking at their IMDb. I couldn't think of Burn After Reading or Babel, which is what I wanted to do for Brad Pitt. So I settled, quote unquote, for Jesse James and yeah. turned out to be a good settle. So I had three that were at, oh. or no, two that were at 1.4%. River Runs Through was 1.8. So I think that really helped me on top of getting them all. I totally would have won if I could have just thought of one. I shouldn't have given up. I could have yeah. gotten one of those. Now you know ah. for next time. See, this is what I, I, I'm very competitive and I like doing this. And this is just a fun way to talk about other movies that aren't our main topic. Um, yeah, Foster, what do you want to talk about next week? 
Oh man, what's the what's the big release that's coming out? This is the big one that we needed to have a conversation about, so we might as well do it right now. And it's the killer and the holdovers have their limited releases. Okay, that's right. And so I was suggesting, uh, do you want to... Um, one of those we could do on the wide release instead of the limited release. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking, I'm I'm trying to think when... Man, this is complicated because I don't know when the wide releases are. Let's let's look. So here's well, some options for the killer if we just wanted to rattle off titles. The killer um, I com- I think comes out eleven ten on Netflix, which would be in name it's wide. So I think mm. if we wanted to push that to the wide because it's a very clear wide, I'm not yeah. sure how wide holdovers will get. Do you want to push the killer to eleven ten because that's the week the Marvels comes out, and I know you wanted to watch. A particular movie for that weekend yeah let's push the killer for now because i okay. think that one has the less compelling options than the holdovers and if yep. we want to do one for the marvels we still can and mm-hmm. we can decide that later so let's choose one for the holdovers then okay so it seems like we've narrowed it down to citizen ruth and about schmidt both alexander payne movies um yeah. are the ones that we both would be up for watching uh have you since- seen sideways Oh yeah, I've seen Sideways. Okay, it's okay, great. Yeah. Have you seen it? No, I'm I'm gonna watch it one way or another, but probably not for the podcast then. Okay. Um I my vote would be about Schmidt, just because I mean it's Jack Nicholson and I haven't seen that movie and I'm like almost certain I'd I'd like it, uh just because I like a lot of Alexander Payne stuff I've seen. Although I would also be happy to do Citizen Ruth if that's your strong preference. Um does either one have Giamatti? No. Um think sideways is the only one they've done together okay um let's go with about schmidt because i need to see more nicholson i think i don't think i've seen enough nicholson and yeah, he's not bad yeah that's a hot take let's hear yeah. you expand on that next week but yeah let, let's just go with about schmidt sounds good i'm looking forward to it this is like high on my watch list this is one i've wanted to see forever so awesome perfect <laughs> perfect as bugs bunny would say um well thank you for listening i uh haven't thought of a outro you got any ideas <laughs> Big old you're, ending it there. you're ending it there that's it that's the end of the episode <laughs> let's do it